0: The Boot Room, a new
1: series looking at the ups and downs of professional football through the eyes of former
0: players. Well, how are you? Welcome back to the Christians in Sport podcast. Our guest today is Paul Brush, who's currently at Tottenham Hotspur. He's worked at Spurs for the last seven years as loan performance manager and scouting. Paul's playing career uh, was at his local club, West Ham. He became a full-time pro at the age of 18 in 1976, what is that? was at Upton Park right through into the mid-80s, where he played 185 games in a really top, what is now Premier Division team, then going on to Crystal Palace and Southend towards the end of his career. But he was a coach as well in professional football at a very good level, coached the Orient Youth Team in 1994, managed Leighton Orient in 2001, started in October 2001, then went with Steve Tilson to End United in 2003 and got successive promotions from League Two to the Championship and then on to Lincoln City, again with Steve Tilson as Steve's assistant in 2010. So now that he's been at Spurs seven years, you can see why Paul Brush would have plenty to talk to us about in the midst of a football season. Paul, I'm really interested in your first full season as a kid in football. You're 19 years old. You're in the first team full-time, really, Started in 79. It's going really well until you break your arm in the autumn. Tell us what happened.
1: Yeah, I'd uh, had a run of uh, games and played all the previous season and every game of that season. And uh, I headed a ball um, around the halfway line. And on my way down... uh, Uh, A young player from Newcastle was on the way up. I had headed it, and then he headed my arm. And um, most people in the ground, including my parents, heard the crack. And uh, I knew I'd done something, but um, didn't want to complain. But eventually the physio came on, and um, he was probably the only one that had noticed uh, or heard. And uh, he rubbed the algae pan into my broken arm (laughs) And I carried on playing I struggled to take a throw on (laughs) Um, And I passed that by and gave it to someone else And then I thought I was running with this arm cracking And I thought perhaps I should come off So I'd come off just before the end of... uh, uh, that game and that had stopped a run of uh, a year and a half of playing in the first team at West Ham as uh, as a left back.
0: Rusty, um, so Rusty, well, what yeah. did? How? I mean, how on earth did you carry on playing? Well, well, I I just um, have a
1: level of stupidity and and within me, but sometimes when you're just playing, you think you can go through anything and your legs are working and you're thinking, Well, I have I gotta really use my arm at the moment. But it was um it was a you know, a silly thing to uh have done and obviously it could have been worse, but um in your own mind you're thinking, you well know, perhaps it's nothing that bad um but obviously uh I ended up being out for uh a number of weeks and then got myself fit during the uh, Christmas break. And I was a back and around the first team at the start of January uh, 1980 when the third round of the FA Cup started. Paul, so Paul, j-
0: just you, uh, what I've missed at the beginning there, of course, in giving your CV, what I've missed is that you're a boy, you're a West Ham boy. You, you've grown up in that manner, as it were, and you're a first teamer. You're a good 18 months into your career and you're not even 20 years of age. So when you get third round of the FA Cup, you play every single game in the FA Cup through to the end of the season. Tell us what happened. Who did you beat? How did it go?
1: Um, so we started off um we beat West Brom, who were premiership top side then, um, with a lot of international Cyril just Peter Barnes, Batson, um then we had a local game down the road and scrambled past Orin in the next round. Uh, then we had another home game, and then we had a quarter final where we won with a last minute penalty against Aston Villa. And then people were thinking, well, they, you know, not some, the name could be written on the cup here. Um, things were going for us. Um, and the semi final, um, we drew the first game against Everton. At Villa Park and played a few days later at Ellen Road in the replay and won in extra time. Um, so I played in all the games from the third round and two semi-final games and I'd stayed in the league side and been rested for one game, which was a week before the cup final, With uh, I sat in the stands with Trevor Brookin. So I thought, this is no bad thing. Uh, he's the best player and now I'm getting rested the same game as him. Uh, cup final week began with a League game on the Monday against Charlton uh, And then A couple of days Later We were back in Training And The day before The cup final On the Friday The team was Announced And um, I wasn't in it So uh, I was told In the dressing room I wasn't told Privately And then we had Like two hours To get from the Training ground To the main ground To get the coach For the hotel So that was a pretty difficult time. Um East London boy had been going watching since I was six. Um, awful lot of family going to the games. Um and um I was expecting to play. Most people thought I was expecting to play. Um, the team was slightly different uh way of playing that day. Um but um I wasn't in the lineup as I was told on the Friday and we went to the hotel and I was then told the normal room partner, Alvin Martin, who was my age and we'd grown up together from the youth team, wasn't a good idea to be in his room in case it was too upsetting for him. Um, so I got put in the room of Frank Lampard, who actually ended up playing in oh, that position where I'd played. Oh my so God. I'm with, so I'm with someone that is not a conversationalist with um, uh, a different mindset, like, really, of like, why has this happened to me? What do I do about it? I can't do anything about it. And trying to tell myself someone could get injured. Um, And there's a couple of other lads that could have been subs. So there's people worse off than me. Um, But I ended up going with Alan Devonshire to Wembley Dog Track. And uh, watching the dogs, although I may well have been uh, um, in my own little world that evening, I think. Um, Paul, how were you
0: you allowed to... uh, (laughs) Did everyone go to the dog track or what? I mean, that's really- No, for a, a car load.
1: I got a cab and went there. And no one took any notice. And, you know, it's a different a different era what 30, 40 years can do. Um, and we were there and we probably left like one or two races before the end. But it was passing the time and not, um, not sitting in and perhaps building the tension up for yeah, for yeah. the group as such. Um yeah. the cup final then was really the the main game of the year. Maybe it's not now. Um and West Ham were in the what is now the championship, um, and you're playing Arsenal, one of the top teams in what is now the Premiership. So you're underdogs and things have got to go right for you. And it was a bit like um Go and relax in a way And um, say so we went to the dogs Came back Went to bed It was a hot day On the cup final day And um, West Ham Managed to win With a Headed goal From Trevor Brooklyn After half an hour And probably Absorbed a fair bit Of pressure In the last 15 or 20 minutes um, I've never Warmed up as much As I did Throughout the game um, And it would have made a big difference to have just got on the pitch before the end of the game. But um, I even thought about that last week. Of the um, um, the modern day, there is uh, added minutes go up, things like that didn't used to happen. So no one knew how long there was to go, and I'm sure I might have been able to sneak on there for the last minute. Um, but there was only one sub in those days And we were under pressure I could see that if Arsenal had scored with extra time Our most players were our forwards That had been chasing back If they took one of those off for me What happens if um Arsenal had scored um, So A two-goal advantage I'm sure I would have got on A two-goal deficit I'm sure I would have got on But it was 1-0 And the game finished And I didn't get on the pitch. So I was on the pitch within about one second without my tracksuit top on because I felt part of the team and all the photos and all the things that go with it. And we have a number of reunions once a year or so. Um, None of the photos from 1980, which is the last time West Ham won anything. None of the photos I'm wearing a tracksuit top. I'm wearing a shirt like uh, the other 11, which was a, positive move by me but um, it, I'd love a pound for the number of times people in my part of the country say oh did you plan the cup final
0: oh that's hard um, that's horrible. So,
1: and that's oh. the sentence and you can almost see people footballing people if you're at some sort of event um, about to say it before they finished, and you sort of, yes, I did. No, well, I didn't really, but I've got a medal, and I played in six of the uh, six games previous. Um, and I get treated like the others, and they all feel that like we're part of it together. Paul, um, oh, did that? But-
0: did that affect? How did that affect? Your confidence because you're a very young guy at this point. Yeah,
1: so I'm just, just coming on to 20, coming up to 22. So I've had a, if you take away the broken arm three months, once I got back in the team, I'd virtually played again. So I'd virtually played for two seasons. And so I felt I fitted in. But afterwards, um, the start of the following season, I'd made my mind up that I was going to play in the Charity Shield game in the summer, as as the summer finished in the August against Liverpool at Wembley, because I was going to play at Wembley, and I I did. Um, But a couple of games into the league season, the team lost and I got left out, and it took a long while to get back in because the team was a good side and the other four players playing at the back were internationals. Um, But it affected me, and it probably... Affected the rest of my five years at West Ham where I felt I was good enough, but there was that little bit of, um, well, have I got to do that a bit extra, or if someone's going to be taken off, it's me. If and there, there was a, some negativity within that's very a bit hard to totally put your finger on, um, but. Uh, um if you looked at the games i'd played till i was 22 it was more i'd played more games at 22 than i'd played at 20 more than half the games i'd played were before i was 22 and i was there till i was 27 so in and out and maybe um there was some inbuilt belief that lacked a little bit while i was there or felt that I had to do extra to stay in the side or extra or, or not be what I'd previously been able to do and, and r- the routine and stuff. Or you were trying to do that bit more and, and you always want to push yourself as a player but there was something within that said if if things go wrong it'll be me um, and so that inbuilt belief probably wasn't there until didn't really come back until I left and went to Crystal Palace. And by that time I had a real different outlook on football and then became a senior player and saw perhaps things differently um, than I had from those
0: um, first couple of years in the 80s. Mm. That's that's really helpful. Uh, Now, at this point, I've got a couple more things I'd like to ask you about. Uh, the whole point of the Christian yeah. Sport podcast is is that our listeners, a number of our listeners will be professional sports people in different sports. And so, of course, therefore, everybody will understand their own version. I mean, it's pretty extreme being left out for the cup final when you're a West Ham boy. But they'll know the pain of disappointment, and that's an extreme story of it. Um, I often ask people and will be in this series about the the, the biggest time they hit the wall as a player. And I might've said being dropped for the cup final was the biggest one for pretty much most people. But your story is a remarkable one in that your journey to Christian faith in some ways is linked to tremendous tragedy. Your first wife, Marilyn, dies in 1985 when, it's five years after that FA Cup final, you're still at West Ham, a five month old son called Pete, and you find yourself talking to Pete, just hours after your wife's died. How did that happen and affect the rest of your working life?
1: Marilyn contacted some kind of leukemia during her pregnancy, so we knew for a few months before Pete was born, Uh, I'd played football during that time, and following on um, from our previous piece, the best spell of games and my best performances were from Christmas '84 to May '85 uh, and Premiership with West Ham, where I played all but one game knowing that Marilyn's situation was um, a bit severe, but not telling the club. So whether playing was a a release, I don't know. But I'd had a good spell of games, and then um, Pete was born in February, and Marilyn was going to have a bone transplant in the summer. And um, so I started to work. So the best day of my life was the day before she died because we got told the bone marrow was taken. And then she had a brain hemorrhage in the night, and so she died in the August with Pete five months old. So I went home later that day and and um, got Pete from my grand from his grandparents, and I just decided to go for a walk with him. And there was just although I felt I was a Christian and I probably had prayed every day, but really I was probably praying about me for me to be successful, for me to play, for me to look after the family for me to be a perfect father and husband. Um, I just told Pete what had happened to his mum and he was five months old and we were standing in this park and I said, but I know everything's going to work out, everything's going to be alright. I just know I've been told. And I meant it, I didn't, you know, there's no point in making something up to a five-month-old. And so, you know, I felt somewhere God was starting to tap me on the shoulder and say you You ain't clever enough to deal with this yourself um do you just ask me for a bit of help and um so I would say that's the proper beginning of uh, a Christian faith that then, during the months ahead, I managed to get a nanny that w- was very important and very good with pete and then um I met one of the nurses that had looked after Marilyn. Sue who became my second wife and she adopted P and um, we then started to go to uh, a local church Um, and on to 1989 when the church we went to St. Peter's in just outside uh, Romford in Harrowwood, Essex uh, had a big push about Billy Graham and the Billy Graham mission that was in 1989. And I thought, well, keep going on about this, keep going on. I don't know. Um, I quite like where we are in this quiet little church. And Billy Graham, to me, was going to be that guy that shouts and um, makes you feel uncomfortable. But we went to West Ham. So back to, by then, um, I was playing for Crystal Palace. And we went back to West Ham and sat in the stands. And, Billy Graham evening, if you like, because he didn't, uh, there was choirs and everything. And then and the end of the evening, Billy Graham gave a talk and then said, uh, step forward if you um, believe that Jesus gave his life for you. Uh, all you need to do is step forward. You don't need to do anything else. And we were in the top tier of the stand. And then I got up and came down and stood by the pitch and made a commitment. So, I actually made a commitment on the pitch at Upton Park um, four years after the last time I played there. Um, So that was pretty special.
0: Wow. Paul, that must have been... I mean, this is a great story as it emerges because really it's like you couldn't make it up because it's like a novel. You know, it's your hometown. You, you, You faced unbelievable joy by being good enough to play in one of the finest West Ham teams Really, uh, the last one to win anything of real success. I mean, you lose your wife, you, you, you look after your little boy, you come to faith in massive adversity, you continue a football career at Palace and then onwards to South End. Um, just it, We're not going to talk about your coaching career today. It, it's, it's wide and long and at all levels of sport, but it's topped and tailed by working with young players and your job yeah. now at Spurs obviously is loan performance manager so you've got strong relationships you've worked in the academy you've worked with young professional footballers in the last little part of our conversation today then is there any way that you might be able to draw together for, for me and for, for those thinking as pros and coaches at the game given the stories you've just told us how is, How has your experience and your faith informed the way you've tried to help develop young footballers in the game in all those years since then?
1: I think part of, um, um, I always wanted to be a youth coach. When I was still playing, I did a coaching badge when I was 21, which was around the time of the cup final and then I started coaching on a Thursday evening at West Ham. With a few other young uh, players or older players coaching young lads, and so I had that within me on a on a sort of teacher mentoring that I, I felt, and and I think that um, I've got a lot of enthusiasm for it, but I've been trying to be a coach that has used personal experiences as a major part of coaching or a major part of talking, mentoring, and trying to make a difference with a player that's not necessarily at all a technical point. So getting to know, understand... And then trying to remember experiences and trying to find positives coming through from negative experiences. And if I've had a few negative experiences and I know what it's like to be left out, I knew as a youth team coach many years ago, when I left out the captain of the youth team one game at Orient in the 90s, I could, I could say, look, I know what it feels like and I wasn't making it up yeah you know, he got left out of a cup game I said I got left out of a you know, FA cup final and I know what it's like not to play I know the feelings I can Im- and I try to imagine being putting myself in their position so I think of the the things you learn as much from adversity as success is trying to put across to someone
0: let them have their
1: own experiences but be there to To help them help them develop and become the best person as well
0: as the best player that they can be. And Paul, as you talk with your background now, many years working with young players, uh, we've heard about your coming to Christian faith in the eighties. How does your faith in Christ inform the way you go about your business these days?
1: Uh, I think. Um, I'm a very reflective person. Um, I like a little bit of time on my own, and um, I, I feel that I couldn't, I wouldn't be functioning properly today without having lent on Christ throughout these last twenty, thirty years. So, I, I, when things go wrong, even work-wise, when I had to stop coaching at Tottenham, I, I, I sort of think, well. It's God leading me in a path, pathway somewhere. And there's so many junctions ahead that are left and right. I can make that decision. And whichever decision and turning I take, I know God will be with me. But there's a number of things that wouldn't be my ideal, um, in life. And I, I just think that I can get through them because, um, I won't be alone in dealing with them. And so, I look to be able to help others within the football club because I think it's such a hard industry for a young lad these days. Um, And you can put across wisdom and hopefully your personality to inspire people to be the best that they can be within football and life. and I think my faith hopefully comes through in how I act and then they they see that I'm, I can give what is honesty and support rather than something that maybe um, is not um, brushing up their ego. an an honesty and truthfulness that knows what I mean and say is what I really believe.
0: Well, absolutely fantastic. We've known each other, of course, for for many years and I'm I'm absolutely thrilled that in this series uh, of our podcast in the football season, I get the chance to pick your brains and hear your wisdom and your faith shining through as it does right to this day after a whole lifetime in football. Thank you very much. uh, Thank you. Great having you. Thanks. Well, uh, thank you very much for listening to the Christians in Sport podcast. Wasn't Paul Brush fantastic? I mean, really, you can hear the man's heart. He's got a, a great heart, a great kindness, a generosity, a generosity of spirit, and yet combines it with being able to play with an arm hanging by his side because he's smashed up in a Premier League football match. That's the kind of man you want to know, I'll tell you that. You can find out archive from the Christians in Sport podcast on any podcast app. Just search Christians in Sport. And finally, if you're an elite athlete listening and would like support, find out more and get in touch via our website at christiansinsport.org.uk. Hey, thanks for listening. See you next time. The Boot Room,
1: a new series looking at the ups and downs of professional
0: football through the eyes of former players.